Brothers and sisters in Christ, before we dive into our text, think with me about the future and particularly how our expectations for the future shape how we live in the present. Think, for example, of expiry dates on food. When you go to the grocery store and you buy, say, a a bucket of sour cream, you know that you have to use it before a certain date. Otherwise, you're going to be in for this rude and, and moldy surprise. Our expectations for the future, they They affect how we live in the present. Well, this present world also has an expiry date, the great day of the Lord. To some Christians, the day of the Lord is is a scary thought. It brings up questions like, will I be ready? How can I know for sure that I'll be prepared But in our text, Paul doesn't speak of the day of the Lord as as something Christians should fear. No, Paul gives encouragement, and he asks us to encourage one another. And you see that in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So this afternoon, I I bring you the gospel message of encouragement from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1-11, under this theme. Let us who are awake be encouraged in light of the day of the Lord. Let us who are awake be encouraged in light of the day of the Lord. And we'll see, firstly, let us be encouraged because we are children of light and day. I'll be focused on verses one through five. Second, let us be encouraged to be vigilant, focusing on verses six six through eight. And finally, let us be encouraged because we are destined to salvation. will be the final few verses, 9 through 11. Our text is written to the Thessalonians, residents of Thessalonica. What do, we, what do we know about this city? Well, in Paul's day, Thessalonica, it was a, a large and, and a prosperous city, and it flourished greatly because of its loyalty to Rome and to Caesar. In fact, the Thessalonians, they actually worshipped Caesar. And they believed that the well-being of their city, it depended on this worship. Which meant that if you didn't worship Caesar, you were seen as a threat to the city. So when Paul came preaching in Acts 17, that there was another king, King Jesus, and and he alone was worthy to be worshipped, well, you can see how that went down like, like a lead balloon in Thessalonica. Paul's gospel message, it, w- it was seen as a direct attack on the city's prosperity. And in response, the Thessalonians, they persecuted Paul out of Thessalonica, forcing him to leave the church in, in its infant stage. But Paul doesn't abandon them. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2 says that, that Paul had sent Timothy back to establish and exhort the Thessalonian Christians in their faith. And then in 3 verse 6, it says that now Timothy had returned and he brought a report about how the Thessalonians were doing. And also he came with some questions and concerns that the Thessalonians had. 
And we read about one of those concerns in chapter 4. The Thessalonians' concern about those who fell asleep before Christ's coming. Here Paul comforts the Thessalonians and, and also us today. He comforts us with the absolute certainty that those who die in Christ will surely not miss out on the glories of Christ's return. At that final trumpet sound, the dead will be raised and and we'll all together go and live with Christ forever. And now our text, chapter 5, it addresses another closely related concern that the Thessalonians had. What, What about us? who remain alive, who are awake at the day of the Lord. What implications does the day of the Lord have for the living? Right here, it's it's good for us to pause and reflect. Look at what preoccupies the Thessalonians' thoughts. The Lord's coming. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 through 10, Paul actually describes the Thessalonians as those who wait for God's Son to return from heaven. The Thessalonians, they're they're defined by, their lives are are permeated with their expectation of Christ's return. And it's good that we reflect on what defines us, what permeates our thoughts. If our day-to-day lives, if they're affected by these basic expectations about the future, like expiry dates on food, shouldn't our lives be even more impacted by the great day of the Lord? But back to the, back to the Thessalonians' question. What implications does the day of the Lord have for the living? Christ's second coming is described with, with different phrases throughout the Bible. And, and these phrases, they highlight different aspects of Christ's return. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, Paul spoke about the coming of the Lord. He uses the word, the coming of the Lord. And this emphasizes our salvation. But in, but in today's text, Paul speaks of the day of the Lord. And this phrase is primarily focused on God's coming wrath. We see God's coming wrath in in verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Paul draws on the language of the Old Testament to describe the day of the Lord. Isaiah 13 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. They will be in anguish, like a woman in labor. Like labor pains, the wrath of God will come suddenly and violently so violently that Revelation 6 says that people will call to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. Maybe 
You have seen those nets that, that are hung up on the sides of, of mountains to prevent stones from falling on people as they drive or walk past. The wrath poured out on mankind will be so severe that people will call for that entire mountain to fall on them. And the last words of verse 3 in our text are truly terrifying. They will not escape. Nothing, not even time, will allow them to escape. God's wrath is final. And it will be poured out eternally. And it is in light of God's coming judgment and wrath that the Thessalonians ask Paul about the times and the seasons the day of the Lord will occur, as you see in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons. And at, and at the heart of the Thessalonians' question about the times and seasons, Paul is, is detecting this, this underlying anxiety about the day of the Lord. An anxiety that that maybe they too will be caught off guard and unprepared, that they would suffer God's eternal wrath. We read in verse 2 that the day of the Lord is, is it's going to come like a thief in the night. And this description emphasizes that Christ's second coming is going to be completely unexpected. Does does a thief write you a postcard beforehand to, to announce his coming? <laughs> Wouldn't that be lovely? Because, I mean, then we could be ready. We could, we could hide our valuables and call the police and be waiting with them. And does a smart thief, would, does he break in during the day or during the night? Wouldn't it be great if, if the thieves broke in during the day when, when we could see them coming? But the day of the Lord, it's going to be completely unexpected. Just like a thief that breaks in under the cover of darkness. And therefore, it's, it's completely useless. In fact, it's a fool's errand to, to try and predict the day of the Lord. And yet, sometimes people try. Often they'll, they'll attract this, this great following of people. Brothers and sisters, we, we know better. We shouldn't get caught up in all of this because we know that the date of Christ's return is known by, by none but God. But, you might ask, but if we, if we can't know the exact date, the exact time of Christ's return, how can we know that we'll be ready? Well, Paul gives his first encouragement in verses 4 through 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers. The thief is going to come in darkness, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. The day of the Lord says Paul, it's going to be bad. Real bad. But take encouragement because 
You are not of night or darkness. You will not be surprised by that day. Night and darkness, they, they probably don't sound too bad to us today. Evenings and nights are often times for, for sporting events or for going out and hanging, hanging out with friends or, or with family. But when the Thessalonians, when they heard the words night and darkness, what pops into their minds is much more like walking through, through sketchy back alleys in, in downtown Winnipeg. The Bible calls night the hour of terror, drunkenness, thieves, sexual misdeeds, and murder. Think of what, what um, John writes when Judas left to betray Jesus. And it was night. Night and darkness, they represent all kinds of moral depravity. And darkness is the default of all humanity. By nature, everyone's heart is black, darkened, and corrupted by sin. By nature, we are ignorant of God and hostile towards him. But here's the point, congregation. You are no longer of the night. You are children of light, children of the day. And you are so because of Christ. John calls Jesus the true light which gives light to everyone. The Son of God came into the world to call his people out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. We get to enjoy Christ's wonderful light because he went into the darkness for us. The utter darkness of God's wrath. Matthew 27, verse 45 to 46 reads, From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God. He endured the pitch black darkness of God's wrath so that we could have light. And by his death and resurrection, Christ has triumphed over those forces of darkness and his kingdom of light, it's, it's being ushered in. 1 John 2 verse 8 reads, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The era of Revelation 22 is coming when night will be no more. There will be no need for the light of a lamp or of the sun because the Lord God will be the light. Until the day of the Lord comes, darkness and light, they, they coexist in this world. To those who are of the darkness, that day when darkness and night are destroyed, it will come like a thief in the night. 
They will be unprepared, completely caught off guard, just like those who were destroyed by the flood, caught off guard in the days of Noah. But to us who are children of the light and of the day, we will not be surprised by Christ's return. If Christ's if Christ's light, if it has shone into your heart and into your life, be encouraged. You do not need to fear the day of the Lord, nor do you need to know or try to predict the exact time of his return. Come to our second point. Let us be encouraged to be vigilant. In fact, this, this speculating about when Christ will return, it's it's actually the exact opposite of what Paul wants. When, when you think about the end times, about those last days, what event or events do you think of? Events that will happen just before Christ returns. Maybe some of those images from Revelation come to mind like the riders on those four colored horses that, that bring war and, and famine and plagues. Maybe you think of those seven bowls of God's fury, which bring earthquakes and great hailstones. These are indeed events that occur in the last days. But the great irony is that when we try to tie Christ's return to specific times or events, we completely miss Paul's point. And in fact, we, we place ourselves in, in grave spiritual danger. The danger is that we will be tempted to think about and be focused on Christ's return only in those times of crisis. Exactly the opposite point that Paul is making. As children of the day, Christians must be ready for Christ's return always. He can return at any moment. And from our text, there's at least the possibility, if not the likelihood, that Jesus is going to return when people think that the crisis has passed. Verse 3 says that people will be saying, peace, security. They aren't worried about a crisis. And so whether, whether there's prosperity or famine, war or peace, we who are children of the day must be vigilant always. Paul makes this point in verse 6. He says, So then, and meaning because of your identity as children of the light, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Your new identity, it, it comes with a task and a calling. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there's, there's this lovely story about a boy named Shasta who was a slave. But over the course of the story, all of a sudden, Shasta is crowned as a prince. And with his new calling comes new responsibilities. Shasta, he couldn't wear those old clothes any longer that he liked. And now he had to learn to read, to write, and to govern justly. In the same way, since we are children of the day, 
we can no longer behave as though we belong to the night. Paul explains this in verses 7 and 8. For those who sleep, sleep when? At night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Brothers and sisters, have, have you ever heard of the great antithesis? This refers primarily to Genesis 3, verse 15, where God, he promises to put enmity, to put separation between the children of the woman and the children of the serpent. There is a radical division line separating God's people, the children of light, from Satan's people, the children of darkness. And they have radically different lifestyles. And I fear that, that sometimes we, we live as though we don't believe this. Instead of this radical division, we, we try to get as close as we can to that dividing line without stepping over. Brothers and sisters, let this not be. This is not what God calls us to in his word. The seed of the serpent, they are asleep. They are morally lax. They're indifferent and insensitive to the things of God. They are drunk and intoxicated, whether it be through alcohol or, or through any other pleasure that consumes them. But since you are children of the day, you are called to live differently. Keeping awake, being sober. And we should ask ourselves, does this describe me? Am I truly living as a child of light? Whereas the children of darkness, they are asleep and drunk, are, are we awake and sober? In verse 6, the, the word awake, it means alert or vigilant. And the word sober, it means being balanced, being disciplined, not being intoxicated by, by all the distractions of this life. In verse 8, Paul uses the imagery of a soldier, the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Our culture, it usually has a, a great deal of respect for soldiers. We, we tend to hold them to the, the highest standards of professionalism and discipline. Imagine, imagine if a soldier, he reported for duty, drunk, yawning, and, and wearing his pajamas. What, what kind of soldier would that be? We too are soldiers in a spiritual battle that affects every area of our life. Are we awake or are we yawning our way through life? even wearing spiritual pajamas. The devil, he has two main approaches to destroy the church and Christians. One is the, the direct attack of persecution. The second is a stealth attack 
the devil's undercover ops. Satan knows that, that humans with their remaining sinful nature were so easily lulled to sleep. The world can be so intoxicating. Life is so busy. There are so many things that can grab and demand our attention. Again, we must ask ourselves, how often do I think about the day of the Lord? If Christ returned tomorrow, no, if he returned today, would I be ready? Am I drifting through life or am I conscious of Christ as I do my homework or as I vacuum the floors? If we are thinking of and expecting the day of the Lord, it should affect how we are living in the present. Let us make sure we are vigilant, that we are not being lulled to sleep. Otherwise, the day of the Lord will surprise us like a thief in the night. But congregation, we should not be discouraged by our text, but encouraged. Notice how those two pieces of armor at the end of verse 8 are described. It says, The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. Faith, love, and hope. These three will sustain and protect Christians so that they are prepared for Christ's return. If you have your Bibles open, please turn, turn back with me one page to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2 to 3. Here Paul has just greeted the Thessalonian church. And then he says in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Why? Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So if we turn back to our text now, it's like Paul is saying, you know those things that you are already doing? Continue doing those very same good works. Grow in them. Pursue them more and more. And be encouraged. Because when you see your faith, your love, and your hope in action, you can be confident that the day of the Lord will not surprise you. You're going to be ready. What would it look like, what would it sound like, sorry, if, if Paul wrote to us? Maybe something like this. You know how your faith shows itself as when your conversation is, is seasoned with the gospel? You know how your love displays itself as, as you open your homes to others? As you drop off a meal for someone who is in need? You know how your hope in Christ and the eternal life to come causes you to joyfully persevere through your physical pain? Continue in these good works. And may God grant all of us the grace to actively grow in pursuing our good these good works. Dear brothers and sisters, let us continue to make our calling and election, our destiny to salvation, sure. When the fruits of sanctification, the work of faith, labor of love, 
and steadfastness of hope are displayed in our lives, we can be confident and encouraged that we will not be surprised by Christ's coming. Come to our third point. At the start of verse 6, the, the words, so then, explain that, that the call, the driving force to remain awake and sober for Christ's coming, it's grounded in our identity as children of light. We don't prepare in order to make ourselves children of light. No, we prepare because we already are children of light. And in verse 9 comes an even more foundational reason, no, the foundational reason that we must remain vigilant. Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The hope of salvation from verse 8, which keeps us vigilant, that hope comes from God's unchangeable decree and Christ's perfect sacrifice. Verse 10, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And here Paul ties back to that comfort from chapter 4. Our hope of salvation, our hope of life, it comes from Christ's death. And it's for us whether we have passed away or whether we are still alive. Now, some people who essentially deny the gospel, they take verse 10 to mean that it's not a big deal whether we are prepared for Christ, awake, or unprepared, asleep, because, God is, because Christ is going to save all who are members of his church, spiritually awake or asleep. But that's the opposite of Paul's point. Only those who are prepared will be saved from God's wrath. Think of that parable Christ told about the ten virgins. All went out to meet the bridegroom. You could even say that all came to church. But only five of the virgins were actually prepared. And only those five celebrated when the bridegroom came. Let us then be ever watchful. May our lamps be bright and clear. May our lives shine and radiate with the gospel in anticipation of Christ's return. And when we are spiritually awake, we can be encouraged because us remaining awake, ready for Christ's return, it doesn't depend on our ability to remain prepared, but on the fact that the Holy Spirit will enable us. Our last point that comes from our text, the last thing we should draw out, comes from verse 9. Here it says that God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because God has decreed your salvation, it depends not on you, but on Christ's work for you and in you through the Holy Spirit 
That is how you will remain ready. Now that's true security that we can put our hope in. Our world is is obsessed with and promises peace and security, but it can't deliver. The Roman world, it was similar. Look again at verse 3. It says, well, people are saying peace and security. Pax et securitas. Peace and security. This was a slogan promised by the Roman government in Paul's day. They promised deliverance from earthly turmoil and danger. And remember, the Thessalonians were recipients of the Romans' favor. They prospered under the Roman rule and their peace and security. But to Paul, this promise is a deceptive and dangerous illusion which distracts us from true security. And we also should examine ourselves to make sure that we are not making an idol out of the government, trusting in them, looking to them to provide us with a so-called earthly salvation. Only Christ brings true peace and security, the salvation from God's wrath on the day of the Lord. The Thessalonians, they probably heard comments like this. Seriously, why are you waiting for Christ? He's been gone for two decades. There's peace. There's security. Live a little already. Now he's been gone for two millennium. How easy it could be for us to forget that Christ is coming. How easy it could be for us to just live for ourselves for a time to let our lamps grow dim. But let us not fool ourselves or be lulled into this false sense of peace and security. Christ's great day is drawing ever near. He is preparing even now to return. So let us encourage each other to prepare for this day and let us build each other up with the encouragement that we who have accepted Christ as Savior and King We who are walking in the light, we do not need to be worried about being caught off guard when Christ returns. Be encouraged, you children of light and children of the day. Encouraged that God has destined you to salvation through Christ. He is that great light of the world who endured the darkest of nights for us. Amen.